When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Matt Lenehan, 4Boxing Social, in association with William Hill and Empire Fight Star. Always a pleasure to be joined by Dan Raphael, who's there in Las Vegas. I wish I was, uh, but <laughs> for Canelo, Jamel Charlo. First off, Dan, I just wanted to ask, what's the feeling been like around this fight? Has they got that big fight feel like it has for many Canelo fights? I think so. I mean, maybe it's not on the level of, say, when he fought some of the absolute biggest, uh, you know, Floyd Mayweather fight, for example, or, you know, even the Caleb Plant fight when he became undisputed. Uh, but look, there's, you know, you feel it when you walk into the into the hotel at the MGM, signage is everywhere. There's already some fans here. You know, I got here on Wednesday morning uh, in time for the press conference. Uh, you know, for most fights, you don't really get the true feel often until Friday when they have the way. And I'm sure that when the weigh-in takes place and you see a huge amount of people gathered in front of uh, the uh, T-Mobile Arena in the plaza, uh, you know, for the the ceremonial weigh-in. There'll be a ton of people there cheering on both guys and, you know, people realize this is a big event. So, uh, you know, it's a big event. I mean, it's very rare, by the way, since the building opened that the T-Mobile Arena has hosted as many as three boxing events in one calendar year. This is a year where they're doing that. You had Tank and Ryan fight in April in T-Mobile Arena. You had Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford in July, and now Canelo against Charlo. So uh, that's a big deal. I mean, and it's a big fight. What do you make of Jamel Charlo's demeanor this week? I've seen um, some of the scrum um, interviews he's done in the press conference, and he said then people sort of question him, and he goes, maybe I'm not like as amped up. I don't have my rowdy-ass brother around, you know, kind of thing. But how do you how do you sort of, you know, see him and sort of his energy? Because it's the biggest fight of his career, bar none. And um, he so he seems to have taken to it well. He seems very calm. What do you make of it? Well, I mean, I had a chance to talk to him a little bit on uh, Wednesday after the press conference with some of the other reporters. And I mean, I've known Jermel pretty much and his brother since they turned pro and started fighting on you know way way deep on undercards and have made their way up the up the ranks. And you know, being honest, you'd see them at fights, and I always got along fine with both guys. I mean, never had any issue with either either one of them. I kind of liked them. I kind of understood that a lot of what they did to kind of get attention was a little bit of that was just sort of a shtick, like they were just sort of trying to drum up attention for themselves. Uh, I never looked at them as like bad guys or anything, but they always would be like 
you know, rowdy and making noise and causing a little bit of a ruckus and that kind of thing. Uh, but the Jamel Charlotte I have seen uh, both in interviews and in the lead up to this fight on like all access on Showtime and then seeing his, uh, seeing how he acted at the news conference and then, you know, getting a chance to kind of assess the body language, if you will, and speak to him a little bit in person on Wednesday. You know, I think he's relaxed. I mean, I think he's excited. He knows it's a, it's a, it's a big fight for him. He has a chance to make significant boxing history. You know, he is the undisputed champion in the junior middleweight division. He has a chance to become the undisputed champion in the super middleweight division. Uh, that's a big deal, no matter what number of belt era you're fighting in. As it turns out, in the four belt era, there's never been uh, a male boxer other uh, than Terrence Crawford to be undisputed in two weight classes. Terrence, of course, did it at 140, and then recently against Spence at 147. And uh, and Jamel Charlo can join that 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 group of guys. He's you know he's kind of playing with house money in a sense because if he does lose. A lot of people say, well, okay, he went up to weight classes. He lost to the all-time great Canelo Alvarez. And he can, if he wants to, return to junior middleweight where he still has, uh, he'll still have three of the belts. What do you make of his chances as the fight grows near? I remember when this fight first got made, a lot of people were talking about the weight difference. And I think it is important to say that, look, there are, there are weight classes for a reason. But Jamel always comes across to me, I don't know about you, as a big dude anyway. And I know that doesn't always transfer up. But as the fight's getting closer now, do you? How do you see this fight? How do you see this fight meshing? Well, first of all, whatever his weight class has been that he's boxed in, he is a larger human being than Canelo Alvarez. I saw them next to each other at the press conference. I saw them, you know, a couple inches away from uh, you know myself when I saw them after the press conference to speak to them. And uh, you know, he is a he is a bigger guy uh, than than Canelo. But of course, the thing is, Canelo has been fighting in the heavier weight divisions for a long time. So he's used to taking the heavier punches because he fought for many years as a middleweight. He has now fought for the last you know few years as a super middleweight. So that's, to me, that's what people sometimes mean about being a bigger guy. It's not so much that you're the larger person. It's that when you're in the boxing ring, you're, you're more used to being hit by fighters that are going to be a little bigger or much bigger, frankly. Um, but when the fight was made, I didn't think it was a mismatch joke and it was a complete blowout like a lot of people thought because of the two-way class uh, situation that we're talking about. Uh, you know, I always, and I'm not saying they're the same thing, but I mean, I covered the heyday of all the big Manny Pacquiao fights. And I can remember people thinking about what it was going to be like when Manny went from welterweight to fight. And he was a small welterweight, obviously. Uh, and he went up and he was challenging Antonio Margarito for a junior middleweight title. Now they made that. The contract for that fight, as my recollection is, is 150 pounds. And Margarito, you know, had to kind of make uh, an accommodation to come down a few pounds. But the thing is, when, when Manny weighed in for this fight at, uh, for the junior middleweight title, he only weighed like 144 pounds or something like that. He was way below the weight limit. And he was a much, much smaller guy than Margarito. And what did he do? He went in there and he beat the absolute living shit out of Margarito and broke his face and, you know, the, you know was looking to the referee, like, telling him you should stop this fight because he gave such a... And, uh, just an absolute beating to Margarito, and the fight probably should have been stopped. So anyway, the point is that those weight classes are created for a reason. But if you have the talent and you have the skills, it's you know there's there's nothing that you can't do. I guess you know within reason. And going from 154 being the size of a man that Charlo is to fight at Canelo is not out of the realm of possibility. Now, all that said, it's very very difficult not to think that Canelo wins the fight, particularly seeing how he's acting, his body language, talking about how much better he feels now that his his uh, surgically repaired wrist is now he says uh has not given him you know it's not giving him problems now it, he said it did give him problems over the last uh you know going back to the caleb plant fight so that's what like four fights that he's had problems caleb plant demetri bevel 
the Golovkin uh, third fight and then the John Ryder fight. He says for the first time since before the plant fight that that wrist and that hand are 100%. So, you know, if that's true and the way he's talking, then I would think Charlo's probably in some big trouble. Let's just sort of switch this up a bit. So, Dazon. Now, I remember when Eddie Hearn came to America, there's that famous interview, pay-per-view is dead, etc. what everyone said. But he keeps saying, no, I said pay-per-view was dead at that price point. So, in the UK, as part of the subscription, Charlo um, Canelo is part of it. For you guys in the US, on top of your yearly, I believe, I think you said, is it 200 and something dollars subscription? How much is, the, is this fight to, to get on the zone on top of? Well, this fight is not available on the zone in the United States. In other parts of the world, it's on the zone, which they announced. So, for example, if you are in the UK, it's part of your regular subscription. Here in the United States, as a Showtime pay per view, it is available on Showtime pay per view, as well as some other digital outlets, ppv.com, Fight, the Fight app. But, it, you know, so it's not on, you don't have to have a subscription to Showtime to buy the fight. But if you do have a subscription, like most, you know, diehard boxing fans do in this country, uh, and even if you don't, you got to pay extra for the fight. Here, it's like $85, $84.99. And that's the same price as the Spence fight, same fight, same price as as the uh, Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis fight. Uh, and that's for one night of fights. It's a lot of money for a lot of people. So, But I think, honestly, I think, Matt, most people who are boxing fans understand that for that type of fight, for a Tank and Ryan fight, for the biggest, biggest fights, they don't object to pay-per-view. They understand it. They get it. We're so conditioned after, you know, what what's pay-per-view been going on since like the, you know, in the in the true fashion that it has been, you know, since like the, you know, the early 90s or even the late 80s, that we know that for the biggest possible events, pay-per-view is what is unfortunately here. Now, I don't think the price point is very good. I mean, it should maybe be a little lower, uh, at least. Um, and they wonder why there's so much piracy. And on top of that, what is the more aggravating factor is when a company, and it doesn't matter if it's the zone or Showtime or or you know Top Rank with their ESPN pay-per-views, any of the companies that do pay-per-view events, is when they put something on pay-per-view that's like maybe a pretty good fight, but it just doesn't reach the level in, in your in your normal boxing fans' mind is that it's something super premium. And the zone is seeing a lot of pushback right now. Not because it's a bad fight, it's actually a very good fight, but they are confused and don't understand why this is a pay-per-view when that's why DAZN exists. And this, I'm talking about the recently announced fight between uh, Regis Progre defending his junior welterweight title against Devin Haney. Very good matchup, two quality fighters, but when you hear that that's a pay-per-view, you scratch your head and you wonder, why in the hell am I paying uh, $20 a month or so or $240 for the year for a DAZN subscription? And that's on pay-per-view. But I get a piece of shit like Matt, uh, jo Josh Catterall against Jorge Linares as a main event. Mm -hmm. Now that's no indictment of Josh of a uh, of yeah. uh, of I'm sorry of Jack Catterall, but to have Jorge Linares in a premium supposed premium main event is kind of a disgrace. But yet a fight like Haney and and Progre goes pay per view. That's where people have the problem. Not that a fight is pay per view. What have you heard the rumblings in America about the Showtime situation then? Because we're seeing a lot online about Showtime potentially coming out of boxing and only doing, you know, potentially. And I say rumour because I have not seen, unless something's come out since I've been driving back from my job earlier, that this is concrete, that they will only put on like maybe a premium pay-per-view and they'll be coming out of everything else. What have you heard from that side? Well, that there's there's those, those uh, rumours, if you will, have been rampant for a while. I'll say this. Uh, the the people that that 
put things out on their social media who proclaim to know every detail don't know shit. They just don't. I mean, they extrapolate, they fantasize, they make things up. And what's disheartening is to see a number of people that are somehow, somehow, some reason why actually rooting for the failure of Showtime for them to go out of the business, which makes no sense. And that's because they've got a, a bug up their ass because maybe they don't like PBC for some reason. All I know is that it's never good when one of the top companies in the sport who put on the biggest fights, by the way, and that's not disputed because the three fights that are the biggest fights this year between Canelo and uh, Charlo, as well as the, the previously fights I mentioned between Spence and Crawford and Hank and Ryan, those are all PBC fights. So, but again, there's nothing concrete about that. I, I'm, here, I'm here. I spoke to some of the Showtime people yesterday, including Stephen Espinoza, and and they're they're getting ready. They claim to announce some more fights for the end of this year. Uh, another one of them will be a pay per view uh, that is again not settled 100, percent and that's between David Benavides and Demetrius Andrade. The date on hold within the pay per view industry is November 25th. The reason that it has not been announced, from what I am told, is because they don't have a site yet for the fight. Las Vegas, none of the main venues here in this city are available, so they're looking for another venue to place the fight, and you, they don't want to announce until they know exactly where it's going to take place. Uh, and there'll probably be at least one or two other uh, events on Showtime from what the Showtime people have said. Now, what happens in 2024, that's up in the air. And it's not because... It, it, the, the reason is because the company, Paramount, which is their parent company, is going through a huge amount of things. What happens now, for those of us who live and die with every little thing in boxing... You know, it's the center of our world in many respects. For a large company like Paramount, it's like the 12th thing on the to-do list. They just sold a huge uh, publishing company, Simon & Schuster. They're trying to sell BET, which is a a, a, main, a big cable television network, you know, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. So what happens with, and, and also dealing with Showtime as the overall network. So what's going on with their boxing programming, that little franchise within the franchise within the franchise is like a blip on their radar. So for us, it's like we want to know yesterday what the hell is going on. But they're going through their process. And 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 I think there's a lot of people at Showtime, I know this for a fact because I talked to them, they're concerned. They don't know for sure. They don't know if something happens in boxing does go out, if they're having if they're gonna have jobs in a few months. And there's also the the thing that has been rumored, and I think part of it's because of what happened here in the United States when the PBC deal with Fox Network went out, which is the last year of that contract, they did no fights on the television uh, linear other than on the night of a pay-per-view. They put on a few preliminaries to kind of lead into the pay-per-view. And the last year of that contract was only like four or five pay-per-view events. And so I think some people are taking that and thinking, okay, if Showtime goes out, maybe they'll follow suit with that. Now, the problem with that is for a couple of years, they would have enough inventory to do big enough fights on pay-per-view that would probably still draw audiences with Canelo, who still has two fights after Saturday on his PBC contract with fighters like Terrence Crawford, who I guess is still with them for another fight or Spence when he comes back or Tank Davis, those types of fighters, David Benavides, et cetera, perhaps the Deontay Wilder fight if he works with them again. But the problem is the, the pay-per-view fights, they become pay-per-view fights because the network spends time developing the fighters on the regular platform. So fans are introduced to them, see some fights of theirs uh, and want to see more of them. And then when the biggest matchups are made, then they move them over to pay-per-view. If you lose the, the network aspect of that, how are those future pay-per-views being built? So the notion that it's going to be pay-per-view only, it can exist. It seems to me for, I don't know, you know, a handful of fights, but they'll peter out. And then where are the next star is coming from right now though, it seems to me, and that's, 
taking the temperature of people like Steve Espinosa and others at Showtime, who I have talked to since I have been here, is that they tell me they just don't know for sure what's going on and that rumors of their demise, you know, are neither, uh, you know, they're not necessarily false, but they're not necessarily true. I think everybody's just got to sit back and wait and see what happens. Why do you think it is? God that? forbid, right? God forbid we wait a few minutes, a day or two, a week or two, to see what's going to happen. Uh, why do you think it is that you get some people that maybe, I don't want to say revel in it, but we see, we've see we seen HBO come and go. You know, the, the legendary broadcast we had over the years, Showtime, who've set record after record on that pay-per-view stretch out there. You know, they think they've got six of the top ten fights. You know, it, it should be like, we shouldn't be celebrated. But you, but you see people online and it's like, why is this a good thing? Why? Because there's always a segment of people that revel in other people's uh, failures because they've got miserable lives of their own yeah. and they derive happiness from the misery of others. And that's a sad commentary. And it seems to be something that is prevalent among a certain segment of people who follow boxing. I won't even call them boxing fans because if you're a fan of boxing, you would never root for the demise of a quality property. Well, look, um, on a more positive note, we sort of half touched on the fight earlier, but Devin Haney, Regis Progre, what a fight. Um, Devin Haney, once again, you know, Lomachenko, Cambosas back-to-back, bouncing into this one now for another world title. And obviously, you commend Regis as well because he, want, he wants this fight. What a terrific fight for, obviously, the diehard boxing fans and you know, a great, great fight to make. I think it's been, it's been a pretty good year for boxing in terms of fights getting made. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, putting putting aside the the disappointment that that fight will be on the zone as a pay per view, just in excuse me, just in terms of the actual match, it's a very good, interesting fight. I mean, Devin Haney has proven himself to be the number one lightweight in the world. He's undisputed, or now he's got three of the belts because the BC made him a champion in recess. But obviously, he's the number one guy with what he has done over the last uh, uh, period of time. And he's not a guy that's ducking tough fights. I see people saying, "Well, he's fighting Regis," but you know, he ducked Teofimo Lopez or he ducked. Shakur Stevenson. I'm like, what are you talking about? There, You can only fight one guy at one time. Lopez is not even decided if he's going to fight this year, what he's doing. You know, he's a champion and he's a hell of a fighter, but that fight really wasn't legit. And, you know, Shakur, that would have been a fine fight, but but uh, he's going to fight for that title that, that the WBC put him in recess because he wants to fight for another belt in another weight class. By the way, the same way Shakur is going to be fighting for a world title in his third weight class. And I can remember back when, when Matchroom Boxing first signed Devin uh, you know, several years ago, this was near the beginning of the DAZN project, doing a press conference where they announced his signing here in Las Vegas, and I was out here for some other big fight. And even at that press conference years ago, they were talking about Devin in particular, about how, you know, he doesn't know how much longer he's going to be at lightweight, so he wants to win it. This before he was a champion. Let me win a world title, and I'll see what happens. But, you know, I'm probably moving up in the not-too-distant future. And, well, he ended up making a bunch of defenses, becoming undisputed. The guy's been making 135 pounds since he's like a kid. He's now a grown man. It's time to go up. He's not ducking anybody. That's absurd. He's taking on Progray. He's one of the best 140-pounders in the world. You can't tell me you're ducking these other fighters in smaller weight classes if you're going up to take on a, a really quality champion in a higher weight class. I feel like Devin's one of them fighters for years now. He seems to have gotten a bit of stick, as everyone does, a bit of criticism. But when you look at what he's actually been asking for and then what he's getting, I don't see where the criticism comes from. I remember he was stood outside saying um, he was in Ryan Garcia's face going, you're calling out Tank, but... You, you're manager for my belt. Let's go. Let's do it. And then Ryan can't blame him for trying to get the Javante fight. Javante is big money, but he'd ask him for fights. Like he's literally saying, "Give me the fights." And his body, if we're all being honest, I mean, the Shakur fight. I think that can still happen down the line because Shakur's going to. Of course, go. of course. 
but now Devin's body, I think, especially like in the the first Cambosis fight, you could see him on the scales and his eyes, you know, it no was question. screaming for him to move up. So I don't think anyone can blame him for that. And Regis Progre is world-class operator. I mean, didn't really show it in the last fight as much, but still a great fight. And the other thing about, about Devin and what he's done, he's sort of in some ways followed in the footsteps of what Floyd Mayweather did, what Canelo has done in the recent past, is he's not doing these big long-term deals when he's contract with Matchroom was up. You know, he listened to different people, what was out there. He ended up making the decision to do a short-term agreement with Top Rank and Lou DiBella to get the Cambosis fight. Uh, was well paid for those two fights. Then, of course, was very well paid for the Lomachenko fight. And that was up. And now he's got the opportunity in free agency to do what he wants to do. So we talked again with Top Rank about what was out there. And I guess talked with uh, with Matchroom and to see what was going on. And he, he him and his father, uh, Bill Haney, who was also his trainer and manager, weighed their options, like the, the prospect of a pro-grade fight, and, and opted to do that. He's going to be well compensated. To my understanding, he's going to make probably at least $4 million for that fight. As the challenger, he's going to make more money than Regis Progre, who's got the title. So good for him. And here's another thing about it, by the way. And I'm not sure if this is, was part of Devin Haney's thought process, but it wouldn't shock me if it was because he's very intelligent about what goes on in the business of boxing. I'm going to tell you right now, if he wins the fight against Regis Progre, there's a very he puts himself in a very strong position to be the fighter of the year, which is a big deal because that will give him a victory against Vasily Lomachenko and a victory against Regis Progre. You tell me another elite fighter who's had who would have two wins against that level of guy in one calendar year. Okay, it's not going to be, let's say Canelo wins. You're not going to give him that much credit because he'd be a writer, right? If Charlo wins, it's a huge win, but it's only one fight in the calendar year. Now, he might still get it because it's such a huge victory. But again, he fought one time. You look at the guys in the heavyweight division, you know, Joshua fought two lesser guys. Deontay didn't fight. Tyson Fury's going to fight, you know, Naganu. That's not going to give him a, a fighter of the year type of thing. You just go on down the weight classes and see who puts themselves in the picture for fighter of the year. Uh, and I think that Haney, I'm not saying there's not others that would be considered, but he clearly, if he wins against Regis, would put himself in a tremendous position to be the fighter of the year. For me, I think when you look at fighter of the year, I know everyone talks as well, and rightly so, about um, Inoue, the monster Inoue, and how he's stepping up and weight with the power. But like you just yeah, mentioned, for sure. the, level, the level of opposition which Devon's operating at and the fact that he's stepping up in weight, he is challenging. But I'm going to tell you, though, so if let's say, let's just take for an argument. Uh, again, I'm not, I'm not, you know, everybody's going to be entitled to their opinion. So in, in a way, it certainly would be a candidate if he wins his next fight. He would have beaten Stephen Fulton to, you know, having stepped up. He will have beaten Stephen Fulton to uh, win two of the belts at junior featherweight. And if, if the fight's going to get done, as a matter of fact, I was talking to one of uh, the representatives from Marlon Topolis just last night here in the casino. Uh, the fight's not done yet, but they, it's going to get done for like late December uh, is what I was told. And so he will fight Topolis and the two of them will vie for the undisputed title at junior featherweight. If Inouye wins that fight, which of course will be a humongous favorite, I'm not sure if victories against Fulton and Topolis trump victories against Lo the fighters the caliber of Lomachenko and Progre. The accomplishment will be impressive because he would become undisputed uh, in a way in two different weight classes. Yeah. Uh, Haney, you know, is not going to do that accomplishment. He's already done it at lightweight, but the, the names, the opponent, to me, what's more important is who you're beating. And to me, beating Progre and Loma is a bigger deal than beating Fulton followed by Topolis. That's my opinion, but I could see that. But I'm just making the point that for anybody that's saying that Haney's ducking this or ducking that, he's taking on a bona fide quality world champion. He's moving up in weight to do it. 
He's making his own deals, getting paid a shitload of money for it, and is putting himself in position for one of those important lines on your Hall of Fame resume, which is to possibly, again, not done, but possibly to be named and elected and voted or whatever picked as the, the 2023 Fighter of the Year. Yeah, I think he's really, you mentioned it earlier, he's taken that sort of flying mare with the blueprint, but he's done it earlier in his career and just and just ran, ran run to the hills with it. Um, very clever the way he's done it. Look, um, I'm going to keep you too much long, but I think we've got it's important to touch on this. We mentioned it off camera. Um, the sad news, obviously, the passing of Colonel Bob Sheridan, legendary Hall of Fame announcer, you know, everyone from Muhammad Ali, you know, the list goes on and on. The accolades are endless. Just from someone who's been in the sport a long time, Dan, just give us your your fond memories on what was, you know, obviously it's a tragic passing. Well, I had a very, very close relationship with the Colonel for most of my career. I mean, when I first started out, uh, most of the Colonel's uh, broadcasting gigs were doing the Don King cards. And yeah. I would see him at a lot of those fights and I got to know him and we hung out. I mean, would you know, have breakfast with him and just shoot the shit and joke around. He was a, just a very... Uh, uh, just a friendly person, a, a, a you know, a bigger than life personality, and it got to a certain point where, you know, he would read my material, and you know, I I knew, I knew so much, like like he used to call me like Rain Man because I knew like so many details about the different fighters, and you know, King would put on these championship cards with like five and six and seven world title fights, you know, and Colonel's like trying to do all of his homework to get ready for the broadcast. I I used to sit with him in the press room at some of these events and sort of like go over some of the background of some of these fighters with him just to like, so he would ask me, can you help me out? And it got to a point where it became a joke between the two of us because he had uh, announced, uh, he was closing in on having announced a thousand world championship fights. In total fights, he probably announced like 10,000 fights. He started in like the 1960s. But in terms of just, just the major world title fights of what eventually became the four sanctioning bodies, he did a thousand plus world title fights. But as he was closing in on the record, like he, I would keep the list for him. I'd be like, Colonel, you know, when you do the fights this week, you're going to be up to like 981. You'll be up to 994, whatever it was. So he's a like, joke around. He would like go through and he would find like his old score sheets and we would like run them to see how, you know, we never figured out exactly that we're definitely off by a few here and there. But the point was, he's definitely over a thousand world title fights. And the joke between us for many, many years was like, I was the official keeper of how many fights he announced in terms of the world title fights they started to come slower and slower over the last several years as he was doing less broadcasting he was doing a little more mma and that kind of thing and uh but he announced a ton of fights i mean look that the when i was a, a younger guy i remember the hbo announce call of when mike tyson got knocked out by buster douglas the very famous call done by jim lampley larry merchant and sugar ray leonard on hbo but a lot of people after that and around the rest of the world definitely know the colonel's call of that which was a brilliant call of buster knocking out tyson they know it better than the lampley call because that's the one that you see that's played in reruns on on like espn's networks now that they have the rights to that it's not the hbo call so the colonel has been seen around the world for decades doing these huge fights and now even in the united states over the last number of years because a lot of the replays are those international calls uh, they, they know his voice also. He is voiced, I mean, there's not a single superstar champion that he's not announced in some form or fashion, either domestically in America or certainly internationally. I mean, a famous figure all around broadcasting uh, circles within boxing, certainly Australia, New Zealand, you know, probably least known in the United States compared to all the other countries. And one of my fondest memories in boxing is after Larry Merchant uh, left HBO, 
he would he still did some commentating and top rank had hired him to work on an event uh in orlando florida where miguel Cotto was the main event he was coming off a loss and they were rebuilding him and and the colonel was doing a lot of the top rank uh, shows at that time this is before they had their espn deal so that miguel Cotto fight was on hbo but the colonel was doing the international like he did for gazillions of fights and they hired larry to work with the colonel on the call now larry and the colonel had sat ringside next to each other practically you're right you know larry in front the colonel right behind doing international larry doing the united states domestic so larry and the colonel known each other for like 40 years probably and had been friendly but had never called a fight together so this was sort of like you know a thing where you got these two like iconic broadcasters who are going to work a fight together and the morning of that fight uh in the hotel in orlando i had breakfast with larry and the colonel because larry has been one of my best friends in boxing you know for almost 25 years and so I was so like enamored with the conversation that we had. I said, guys, do you mind? I'm going to go back to my room and I'm going to write a column about this because this has been such a fucking great breakfast uh, hearing you guys go back and forth about your, you know, your backgrounds and, 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 and different, uh, not just boxing, but, you know, Larry having covered, you know, football and baseball and the Colonel having called college football games and, and basketball games and all kinds of stuff. And I, I wrote this piece like just I wasn't planning it. It's just so many good things to to write off of that breakfast. And I, I did write that piece. And then the next or later that night, actually, they called the fight together. And, uh, you know, and even even when Colonel wasn't doing fights on a regular basis, he would call me, I would call him. We would, no, not like every day, but I mean, we were always in touch, you know, once a month, maybe every six weeks, maybe a couple times a week, depending on what was going on in the sport, just to shoot the shit. He, you know, he always had grand plans, like there was some other big event that he was going to work on. So he would call me and tell me. Now, some of them didn't, did not end up happening, but he always had uh like the enthusiasm for the sport the one thing that always stuck with me because he would get on my case because you know i, I would i would kind of get on the case of certain things with the sanctioning bodies for example and and the colonel would go soft on them when he would talk about him in his commentary and he would always say you're the journalist i'm an entertainer he, he never like said he goes i'm not paid to like to, to to say bad stuff about anybody in boxing you know you're a columnist you know that's your job to to, to call people out or to, to truth, speak truth to power, whatever. I'm here to entertain the viewers who are watching me call these fights. And he made a distinction between what he did and what guys like me did. But the thing about it was he was a very, very smart boxing guy, had an incredible history in boxing, knew everybody. Most everybody that I knew liked him. Uh, one, how many broadcasters can you say worked for many, many years with no problems for Don King and for Bob Arum, you know, I mean, that's amazing unto itself. And I just love the guy. I mean, I know that he rubbed some people, maybe for some things he may have said, maybe the wrong way a little bit. He kind of was very outspoken about a few things. Um, but this is a guy, and I mean, this is the greatest Colonel story of all time. Now, I was not there for this. But on the night that Mike Tyson and, and uh, Evander Holyfield fought, and Colonel, everybody knows him, you know, he had a lot of heart problems. He had a lot of health problems. And, and I'll tell you right now that if the Colonel was still with us, he would say, it's a miracle I'm still here. And if, if he could speak to us from wherever he is now, he would say the fact that I made it as long as I did is like a fucking miracle. Uh, he was having heart problems for many, many years. He basically had a heart attack before that. Uh, I forget if it was the first fight or the second fight between Evander and, uh, and, uh, and Tyson. He had checked himself into the hospital in Las Vegas. Against the doctor's orders, he left the hospital and went to call the fight at ringside. And the doctor came and sat behind him. He called the fight and then went back to the hospital. That's what a fucking lunatic, and I mean that in the most beloved way possible, that the colonel was. And that's one story maybe that's the most famous, but there are a fucking thousand colonel stories like that of his enthusiasm for the athletes, 
for the writers, for the promoters, for everybody in the business, for even the sanctioning body people, referees and judges. I mean, he just loved everybody in boxing. He, to me, was like the absolute epitome of when you say, oh, he's a character in boxing. The Colonel was a character in boxing, like no other that I have ever met. Well, Dan, I think, um, I'm sure, obviously, he'll be seeing, watching this somewhere, um, and, you know, I'm sure he, he'd appreciate them kind words. So, appreciate your time, Dan. I know that's um, a touch, um, touching subject, but, um, yeah, I think it's only right that we covered it. But, look, um, I'm going to let you enjoy this week in Vegas now, a terrific fight this Saturday. Canelo Alvarez, Jamel Chawler. I'm hopefully going to stay up and be awake to see it. Um, and we'll catch up soon. I appreciate your time as always, Dan. You bet, Matt. Thank you so much. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.